You're listening to the Public Health Epidemiology Careers Podcast, Episode 106. Welcome to the Public Health Epidemiology Careers Podcast, where we explore public health epidemiology careers and share tips and strategies to help you enter or transition into the field. And now your host, Dr. Charlotte Hughes-Huntley. Greetings, everyone, and thank you for joining me on this episode. The American Public Health Association's epidemiology section wanted to give students an opportunity to talk about their research on the podcast. And students who were interested in participating, wanted to be on the podcast, were asked to submit their research information, and they were selected based on their completed responses. So coming on the podcast to discuss their research gives students some experience in discussing their research and just really voicing that information. So in this episode, you'll hear from our final two student members who were chosen to share their research experience. Joining me on this episode is Katie Ruggett and James Schlitt. Now, before I introduce my first guest, I'd like to mention that this episode is brought to you by Public Health Solutions Executive Search Firm, or PHS for short, under the leadership of President and CEO, Dr. Donna Elliston, whose motto is, doing business effectively, let us be the answer to your public health needs. PHS services include public health recruiting for mid to senior level executives and public health coaching for public health applicants in need of strategies and guidance. Visit PHS today at phssearchfirm.com. Now, my first guest is Katie Reggett, and Katie is an MPH student at DePaul University in Illinois. In addition to uh, being a member of the epidemiology section of the APHA, she's also the secretary-elect for the Applied Public Health Statistics section. She also loves social media and podcasts in general. I really enjoyed chatting with Katie before the interview, and we even discussed some ideas about collaborating with the Applied Public Health Statistics section um, on future podcast episodes as well. So we'll see how that goes. Let's connect that interview with Katie now so that you can hear all about her research. Well, today I'm really excited to welcome Katie Reggett to the show. So Katie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. Awesome. If you wouldn't mind, take a moment and just tell the audience a little bit about yourself, about your background. So um, my name is Katie. I am a recent graduate from the Master's of Public Health program at Paul University. I um, recently moved to Minnesota from Chicago to establish my professional career here in public health. Well, awesome. And congratulations, by the way. Thank you. So if you wouldn't, uh, let's move into a little bit about your research. So tell me about, or can you just explain your research topic? Yes. Yeah, so my research looked at um, the intersection of non-medical prescription stimulants use, also known as Adderall or Ritalin, um, on DePaul University's campus and uh, sort of addressed this um, use and prevalence with a 10-week social norms campaign that presented students with um, specific DePaul University fact-based data about um, use on campus. All right. So that's interesting. How did you choose this topic? 
So um, I was given the opportunity to work in the Office of Health Promotion and Wellness at the university, um, and they had a lot of data sitting around from a survey report that they did last year, and um, I wanted to go through and sort of analyze the data and see what came back. These alarming rates about non-medical prescription use came back um, specific to our university, so it sort of fell into place with what the trends were on campus and what I was able to do. Do you think that it's that specific to your university? Is that different compared to other universities or did you do any comparators outside of your school? Yeah. So actually I know it's not. So on a national level, the um, non-medical prescription stimulants, Adderall or Ritalin is the third most used and abused drugs on campuses nationally. Um, The, where we stand a little different is the non-medical prescription stimulants on use on Nepal's campus is like is a little bit significantly higher when compared to the national average. So Nepal actually has double the amount of computer cu- current users when compared to a reference group that is a nationally recognized sample. So it's that sort of Nepal coming in at a little, little bit higher than the national average that makes this an interesting topic. Hmm. I imagine what um this is additional information here we didn't discuss ahead of time, but I'm just curious to know what the plans are with those findings. Do you know what DePaul will be doing with that information? Yeah, so I think um, the Office of Health Promotion and Wellness sort of operates at a risk reduction and health education standpoint. And I know that they're definitely going to consider adding Adderall or Ritalin to some of their basic um, risk reduction and health education programming, where normally you hear about alcohol or marijuana, they're going to start adding on this as well. Okay, that's really good. I know you also sent me a copy of, let's see, I'm looking at it now. It's uh, a one page, like a flyer, and it says, join the conversation um, at Healthy DePaul. Is that on Twitter? Yeah, so it's actually a Twitter handle. And then there is information um, about where um, you can contact directly to the office. Okay. I'll add that in with in the show notes uh, for anyone that may be interested in exploring that a little bit more. So tell me how your research, um, explain how it will relate to your future career. Yeah, so I am really, really interested in um, health education programming. And this project really helped, allowed me to sit there and see the process from start to almost finish. Um, so I was able to sort of harrow in that I really like campaigns that are based in population statistics. Um, So I'm definitely looking for um, an avenue that is working with campaigns or working with information education based in fact. And if I could get anywhere in the process with analyzing the facts to producing the campaign or producing the programming, um, that's really what I'm trying to find. That's awesome. And that was definitely a rich experience for you and will open up many opportunities, I'm sure. So That is great. Well, Katie, thank you for taking the time and sharing your research and uh, being on the show. And I wish you all the best as you move on and move forward. Thank you so much. My next guest is James Schlitt. Now, at the time of the recording of the interview, James had recently defended his dissertation. But by the time this publishes and you're listening, he will have graduated from Virginia Tech. So he's officially Dr. James Schlitt, by the time you're listening to this interview. So during our chat, before the interview started, we talked about 
uh, oh gosh, we talked about statistical analysis programs and really had a good little chat about that. And he told me how much he enjoys using Python for data visualization, which I took good notes as he talked to me. I'm sure you will find his research topic of computational epidemiology rather interesting. So let's connect that interview now. Well, today I am really excited to introduce you guys to James Schlitt. So James, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Huntley. Well, if you would just take a moment and tell the audience a little bit about who you are and a little bit about your background. Okay, so I am a fresh graduate of the Virginia Tech GBCB uh, Genetics, Bioinformatics, and Computational Biology program, and also have a Virginia Tech Master of Public Health in Infectious Disease. And I've spent the past couple of years just working in computational epidemiology, uh, you know, partnered with various like local, state, and federal public health agencies trying to find ways to resolve novel crises. In my personal time, uh, I go mushroom hunting and hiking a fair bit. And I do a lot of volunteer search and rescue. Wow. Now, the hiking I can relate to. You have to tell me a little bit about the <laughs> mushroom hunting. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, I go mostly looking for chanterelles. Uh, in Appalachia, we have morels, chanterelles, pretty much all the foolproof species, the ones that aren't going to kill you if you pick the wrong one, can be found pretty abundantly if you know when where to look. So it's kind of like an Easter egg hunt for grown-ups. Huh. Well, I learned something new today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So tell me now, um, I know you've got some really interesting research topic here. So why don't you explain your research topic? Okay. So my research is very crisis-based. It's largely putting up fires. We're not trying to find a way to launch a rocket ship into precise orbit. We're trying to figure out how to slow down or stop a novel crisis. Uh, for example, you know, in a lot of epidemics, you have some historical precedent, something you can compare them to. And if you can find any sort of difference between a previous epidemic that's behaving very strangely and growing very rapidly to, you know, one that was a little more predictable in the past, you can very often find a way you could crush this epidemic. Uh, one case of this was, for example, the 2015, I believe, MERS epidemic where we noticed that MERS was really specifically hitting older men in the countries where it was. And, you know, a lot of pathogens have an age preference, but short of STIs, not a lot really have a gender preference. So, you know, we look at it and we see, like, what is strange? What is novel here? Uh, eventually, it turned out that a lot of these MERS cases were being transmitted by camel races and camel markets, which were specifically attended by older men in these countries. So when you find that weird thing, trace it down to the source, you figure out how you can stop the epidemic right there sometimes. That's really interesting. And I'm looking in the notes here, computational epidemiology. What type of technology, what type of, uh, give me a little bit more detail about what method you're using. Okay. So my lab has generally functioned outside of like some of the more traditional classic epidemiology channels. Uh, in a lot of cases, you know, we have notifiable illnesses, we have all these registries and data sources, but we're trying to find ways to be faster than that. So one of the most trivial ways that you can kind of detect smoke well before the fire is Twitter. Uh, if you have something people brag or complain about, you can find it very easily on Twitter. So one of my first and most successful projects was Chattergrabber, and all that was doing was using train or human-trained machine learning 
trying to find tweets of people talking about uh, gastrointestinal illness. We've also applied that to opioids, just trying to see which tweets resonate most strongly with people from which source. Uh, you know, if you remember when you were a kid, like there were things your mom could have told you to do and your friends could have told you to do, and you would have only listened to one of them based on what it was they're talking about. And we did the same thing. We were looking at like health-related messages, like legal consequence messages, general avoidance messages, and looking at whether these tweets were coming from law enforcement, news, public agencies, uh, government officials, and just seeing which ones generally resonated much more strongly with the audience for which message. I attended a, it's an online type of a seminar, um, and I cannot remember the researcher's name, but um, he was really heavily involved in the type of research you just described. And they used a lot of Google analytics um, in very much the way you kind of described with Twitter. So um, after this interview, I'll have to look his name up because it, it escapes my mind at the moment, but I think that would be a great contact for you. But that sounds very, that's very fascinating. So explain to me why you chose your research. So um, I've always been interested in uh, epidemiology, you know, before I knew the name of it. As a little kid, I saw the movie Outbreak. And while right now, maybe I'd concede it wasn't the best movie of all time, uh, at that age, I thought it was awesome. I mean, we watched it at my birthday party when I was, I don't know, not very old. Uh, so from that point on, I'd always wanted to work at the CDC. And I graduated with an undergrad degree in biochemistry, ended up taking a couple of years in business to business sales. Uh, wasn't really fulfilling. So I decided to make a complete left turn and start a PhD program and an MPH at Virginia Tech. Wow. That is definitely a big left turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just a lot. It's a very fulfilling field, you know, like, you know, when you're needed, you know, it has an impact. Uh, and I just really enjoy that crisis space where it's like, no one knows how to solve this. You know, if you can create something useful in that time period, <clears throat> you can accomplish so much more to alleviate human suffering than you could in pretty much any other field. That's true. Now, apply your research and explain how it can relate to your future career. Okay. So, yeah, that is a uh, interesting question I'm working on right now. Uh, I just finished my dissertation and, you know, uh, just waiting for the official paperwork and plumbing to complete so I can be Dr. Schlitt. But I'm really looking for something altruistic, which has a data heavy, like sort of creativity and crisis driven approach. Uh, for my work as, you know, a volunteer, <clears throat> or sorry, for my volunteering as a uh, EMT and search and rescue team member, I've been pretty interested in the disaster space. Uh, you know, epidemiology is not just pathogens. It's really anything that's making people not live as long. If you can find a solution, you know, it's worth implementing. So that's a good question, though. I've looked into some emergency planning and logistics. I uh, tried to develop just a couple of things for search and rescue, like planning around floods or having offline data sources because, you know, we often go in the middle of the mountains, which don't have good data. Uh, 
beyond that, I've been trying to look into informatics fellowships or data science. Uh, just somewhere, I guess to go back a page, we really often work with a fusion of network methods, geospatial methods, open data, uh, public APIs, web scraping, and text mining. So I honestly think I might be bored if I went somewhere where I couldn't use at least half of those. Wow, those are great skill sets, and um, <laughs> I, I would I would encourage you to explore you know your opportunities using all of those skills, and and especially the fact that you enjoy using them and you find the value and the purpose. I mean, um, my little two cents of coaching on this would just be to. Now that you have, you know, gotten past the dissertation, you're kind of coming out of the cloud, you get a little bit of relief, you can really start to focus on what your strengths are and what those skills are that you've, you know, the, the software that you've learned how to use over time and your skills that are your strengths and the things that you care about the most and what you enjoy doing, pull that all together and, uh, and present yourself, um, to those, um, potential employers and show them the creative, um, set of skills that you bring to the table and how you can help solve their problems and, and really look for those opportunities to, to, you know, see, spread your wings and apply what you know and stay challenged and feel that it's, you know, you're interested in going to work is, is fun. And it's really, you know, we can enjoy the work that we do because um, it doesn't have to be dreaded or it doesn't have to be, you don't have to conform. (laughs) So I think that you'll have many opportunities um, in front of you. So I look forward to hearing uh, an update from you at some point in the near future. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, James, I appreciate you taking the time and um, coming on the episode here, talking about your research interests and the work that you've done. And I wish you all the best as you move forward. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Katie and James, for joining me on this episode to discuss your research. Now, in case you missed it, previously we featured student re- uh, research interviews in episode 102 and also in episode 97. So be sure to listen to those as well. Make sure that you've subscribed to the podcast so that you have access to all of the episodes and you'll be among the first to hear the new episodes as soon as they're released. All right, everyone, until next time, have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Epidemiology Careers Podcast at drchuntley.com.